Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bikini Podcast. This is episode number 44 and today we're with speech pathologist Talia Williams and bikini competitor. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Trey. How are you? I'm really, really good and I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I wanted to um, get into this and straight away. And so what is speech pathology? So speech pathology. So I get asked all the time when I, like when you ask, what do you do? And I'm a speech pathologist. The most common response I get is, oh, so you teach people how to talk. Mm. I wish it was that easy sometimes. I wish that was my degree over and done with. Um, so what we do is we study, diagnose and treat communication disorders, including difficulties with speaking, listening, understanding language, reading, writing, mm-hmm. social skills, stuttering and using voice. Um, We work with people who have difficulties communicating because of a various reason. So developmental delays, stroke, brain injuries, learning disabilities, cerebral palsy, dementia, hearing loss. There's other ones as well. We also help people who can't swallow food or drink properly. We look into reflux management, um, Pretty much anything to do from the bottom of your diaphragm, like your ribs, to your forehead, we're and specialists. You're pretty much the boss of. Okay, that's cool. So, what's your like? Where are you? Where are you working now? Who's your main clientele? Because I know that's a brief overview. But who who do you sort of work with? So I work for the education department here in Rockhampton. So I work with the ages of four to thirteen. I think my oldest client is. Predominantly, I work with speech and language, so your basic speech pathology role. That's what I do. Um, I have a few voice clients, a few stuttering clients, but most of it is teaching kids how to. So when you say, when you say voice control, what does voice control mean? Because like, I'm a complete noob with this and I have no idea. So could, how would you explain that? Voice. Voice is actually pretty complicated. I will just kind of give you a bit of an overview of what voice is. So voice starts pretty much from the minute you take a breath, you breathe in and that's where you get the power drive behind your voice. So the more breath you have, the stronger your voice. Mm. Um, And then going into where even voice is produced. So your vocal folds are actually right behind your thyroid cartilage, which is your Adam's apple. Yeah. So that's where your voice is actually produced from, which is pretty cool. And then, so what happens is the air comes up from your lungs through the vocal folds, which vibrate. Um, For females, it's about 220 vibrations per second. And males, it's about 110 vibrations per second. And then that comes up through your trachea. So that's your windpipe. Yeah. And then is then shaped by what's called your articulators, which is like your mouth, your nose, your teeth. And then that shapes your voice. So everybody has a different voice. It's kind of like your fingerprint. It's unique. It's yours. It can be changed if you want it. Um, there's different factors to how it can be changed. Yeah. So, so I mean, let's say for someone that isn't into the whole bodybuilding thing, let's say if I wanted to change my voice, how would I go about that? So changing your voice is very, very diverse. Um, so it can start off with the little things is, We can work on breathing so you have a bigger breath, so you have more volume to your voice. Um, You can change, you can actually physically manipulate manipulate your voice. Um, So what we can do 
especially um, this happens most with males through puberty who actually their voice has never, their balls haven't dropped or yeah. um, they haven't, their voice hasn't deepened. So you can actually put your fingers above your thyroid cartilage and pull it down. Like you got to like, in there and like <laughs> so people can't say yeah people can't say but i'm actually trying to <laughs> it doesn't it probably doesn't feel like i'm doing it properly but it's yeah it's it's really complicated when you can't actually like manipulate someone's first um, but yeah, yeah it's very invasive i don't really enjoy doing it to people but it happens yeah we work with that a lot with um, especially males who yeah their balls haven't dropped mm. Um, so what actually happens with puberty, and this is pretty cool, I only learnt this at uni, is so nothing actually drops. What happens is your vocal folds will thicken and become longer. And so that's why males have bigger Adam's apples, is to cover the room for their vocal folds. Oh, so that's so the Adam's apple is a protection facility. Yeah. If I've, if I've damaged my voice as a male, right? what could I do potentially to fix it? Like what's the process involved? Like obviously I'd go to the GP, get a referral type of thing and then come see you and you'd obviously diagnose it. So how do you diagnose if someone's got a problem and then what do you do for treatment? So with a speech pathologist, you don't actually need a referral. Oh, you can we're not just call straight through. Yeah. And mm. that's where Troy and I were talking before. So NDIS, they will fund for disabilities, um, especially general disabilities they will fund a speech pathologist they are quite expensive um so someone can come to us and they have a voice um, issue what we do is what's called a voice perception analysis so we will go through listen to their voice write down what we think is actually wrong so whether it be with the volume the pitch the tone is there any qualities are they hoarse are they breathy are they do they have glottal fright which glottal fry is very common in females. It's what we call the lazy voice. Think of the Kardashians. Mm. That real lazy It's, it's, it's funny because like I look at that and I think that it's almost like a cultural thing. It's like a habit. People just all of a sudden copy each other and the next thing you know, they're, it's like, to, I mean, it's like an accent. Like you hear, yeah. let's call it a bogan down the street. There you go, mate. Next thing you know, they're all talking that way. So is it like a just a cultural thing where people just copy and paste and yeah like how does it happen yes. like what's the process very much um we talk about this when we were at uni it is very cultural um because everybody wants to be a Kardashian um so we found yeah so the god of right is lazy voice I know I get it sometimes if I don't put any effort into my voice we were drilled through our voice course to fix our voice because it does not sound professional it's lazy it's causing so much strain on your voice. It's like whispering. For those that don't know, whispering is actually awful for your voice. Really? So what happens when you whisper is because you let a lot of air and you're putting so much strain on being quieter but using the same amount of effort, it causes issues. You can get yeah, vocal nodules. You can get all the words from whispering. So, so, if I, you, uh, so if you're some creep walking down the street and you feel whispering sweet nothings, you're probably going to lose your voice in some form. So you can almost assume that they're a creep. So if, if, you, yeah. if someone yeah. went, I've this, my voice is kind of fucked. You can almost assume that Every they're a creep. Every time I hear you do these voices in my head, I'm um, like, that's a disaster. <laughs> uh, so that's, gonna, that's not going to help, is it? 
Oh, well, unless you've warmed up and you're doing it correctly and not just spontaneously. No, so if I'm, do you yeah. Ever if I'm, do you ever get like a sore throat after you do a podcast? If I do it first thing in the morning. So if I've, I've done a podcast or not the first thing in the morning, I think the earliest time I've done a podcast is probably at 10. And I felt like I didn't, for lack of a better word, warm up. Like I didn't feel I had proper tonality. I didn't feel fresh. I tried to drink some water and I was like, hold on. Why don't, why I just, I don't know. I just didn't feel normal. And then I could, when I listened to the playback, I was like, why don't I sound as crisp? Like I would, for example, like right now I feel comfortable. I feel good. And also feel more alert. So what is the, do you have to warm, so do you have to warm up? Is like, what's the process there? So we recommend, um, even myself, I will get up first thing in the morning. Like when I'm in the shower, we recommend before you even start talking, um, humming. Humming is actually really good for the vocal folds. So it kind of massages them, gets them ready, going between um, pitches, which I'm not that great at at the moment, haven't been practicing. But yeah, it's pretty much, humming going between pitch ranges without actually using a lot of voice so you can hum without using voice we recommend in the shower to have steam inhalation so if you have any mucosis it can just come straight up um, with kids i love using straw in water that is the go-to for warming up kids voice no you know how you blow bubbles oh yeah so instead of if someone can't hum like correctly we get them to start off with a straw in water, blow bubbles. Oh, so if okay. you ever in the morning want to start blowing bubbles, it's going to give you a nice warm up. Hmm. I'm going to have to do, yeah, I'm going to blow some bubbles. Does it matter what type of bubbles? <laughs> no, no. You can, <laughs> we recommend you, you can go in between and. Yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. So pre-podcast. So now I have, to have a pre-pod. I'm going to make it. What can I do? You don't want to have, I'm going to have like a ice cream, you know, the spider Sunday. Like I'm going to have a spider with lemonade. <laughs> I'm going to blow my bubbles and that shit. And I'm going to eat some ice cream. Good luck. Can you send me a video of it? Would that help the throat ice cream? Is that a thing? No, lactose wouldn't be. Dairy wouldn't be good for the throat. Actually, no, it is not. So what happens when you have dairy, Mm. it's the same with reflux. It coats the throat in a more sticky mucosal. So it is a little bit harder. So reflux is really common after dairy, even though they tell you to drink milk. Yeah, well, that's dairy farm companies, that's for sure. Um, honey then would then be a logical solution to that, right? Yeah, honey's not bad. Um, we recommend teas, um, but not too hot. You don't want to burn your throat. But teas, um, as long as you don't go to bed within three hours of having that, you won't get reflux. But yeah. Of having a hot drink or just tea? Yeah, both hot drinks. That's so funny. My, my dad's addicted to coffee. He's one of those creeps that has a coffee before bed. You know, I think it's like an old yeah. people thing. A lot of old people do that. It's like, it's relaxing. I couldn't do that. I'd be up all night. Like I'm up all night anyway, but adding a coffee, forget about it. I have a coffee after 12 when I'm up past my bedtime. and It's not great. Yeah. I've got like a uh, lockout for a pre-workout. So for example, I'm not sure if I'm going to train tonight, but if I do, I, yeah, I'm past my pre-workout time. I can't have it now. We're so opposite though. You're up all night. I'm asleep at eight o'clock up at four. Yeah, it's funny. I get in the zone and then once I start working, I don't want to stop. But then I don't like training late. With um, You mentioned protection before. So like how does one protect their voice? So obviously whispering sweet nothings isn't a good idea. Dairy probably isn't. Um, what else? The list. <laughs> what is the that? list yeah, is the list. endless. The list is endless. I don't even know where to start. Um, so smoking. Mm. Smoking is awful for your voice because it dries out. 
the vocal folds. Drinking alcohol, coffee, we pretty much sound like we're announcers here telling you not to do all these fun things. So yelling, um, if you yell outside, we've um, actually run a program down in Victoria that was founded in Victoria, which is called Voice Care for Teachers. We use that now for mm. everybody, like anybody that's a professional user. Um, it goes through like some medications. So um, your corticosteroids for asthma can cause voice issues. Certain um, Predicinol. <laughs> yeah, don't you end up with a voice disorder. Um, squealing. A lot of my voice kids ask from squealing. What does someone, um, like, you know, I guess, like, I know what a lady sounds like, but um, a male with voice damage, like, what does he sound like? So the hoarseness in people's voice, that real dry. Sometimes when I think of voice disorders, I think of the painful, like on how painful when you hear someone's voice and it's like, I have a um, client's parent that has Parkinson's disease. So with Parkinson's disease, their voice quality becomes really breathy. Think of, um, I don't think who it is. I think it's Marilyn Monroe. He's got the real breathy voice. Oh, you know who's got a very husky voice now? Um, she was on Joe Rogan's podcast late. Uh, Miley Cyrus. She's really husky now. Yes. Um, I don't know if anybody follows NRL, but a lot of NRL players have vocal issues and that's from taking too much trauma to the vocal folds. Mm. So damage playing the sport, too many knocks to the throat. Yeah, because that, that was actually one of the questions that someone submitted. So can the voice box go through trauma? And then obviously what things can damage it. So that, that's kind of what I did mention. But yeah, in our play, so if you're playing sport, a team sport where it requires communication, you haven't warmed up your voice, not a good thing. Yeah. I, um, so Darren Lockyer, that's who it is. He has a really bad voice. Mm. He's seen a speech before and stuff. But yeah, too many oh, to the That just reminded me... Um, I, was, I can't remember how what the time frame is, but I did a Tony Robbins virtual thing, right? Um, and he's actually got, he actually mentioned that he's got damaged vocal cords. Like he's, uh, he's got very thin vocal cords. And now like thinking back, actually, you can almost hear pain in his voice. That's what I think of voice disorders is how painful it is. But I guess I work with people that actually. Yeah. Hear. It's funny. I just had that epiphany right now. And it's like, He's got a really cool voice. Like I, I love Tony Robbins' voice. It's very noticeable, but yeah, he's got this pain element to it where it doesn't sound healthy. And that's, yeah, the horse. And then there's roughness. And then there's so many different qualities that we look for in a voice. Um, so yeah, there's the breathy voice and that's where the vocal folds are not actually coming together. So I should have said this before. When you breathe, your vocal folds are open. Mm. And when you talk, they wave. I wish I could actually show you guys how my hands are moving. That's how they are. They kind of like, yeah. I'm going to, um, listeners, if you've never actually seen your vocal folds, I do recommend having a Google at what your vocal folds look like because 95% have never seen their vocal folds. Yeah, I totally have. Yeah, I recommend having a look because you'll be surprised. Not what you expect. Okay. I'll show you what they look like. So this is your vocal folds while you are talking. Oh, wow. That looks, that looks retarded. Yeah. So that's, and this is when you're breathing. Okay. That's cool. Yep. So, and that's, um, so where is that? That's located just in your, like in your trachea. Yeah. Right. Behind your Adam's apple. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. 
and then so for and example so you have two sets so you have two sets of vocal folds so you have the yeah. ones that you actually talk from right they true vocal folds and then you have false vocal folds just above um so they protect um they will close off and they will protect things coming down your windpipe so you know when you're in the gym and you're about to do a big lift and you take a breath and you bear down yeah um false vocal folds shut grunting in the gym awful for your voice too pretty much mm. everything um, so when I'm in the gym, I always have to have headphones in because I will listen out for people that grunt. Yeah. So Ronnie Coleman, <laughs> Ronnie Coleman's probably got a bad voice because he's done too much screaming. Yeah. And a few other things, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he, would you say that Ronnie's got a damaged voice box or vocal cords, I, I should say? What, what's the correct terminology? So, would I say, so would I say if someone's got a damaged voice box or like how, how would you say that? So I would say that he had dysphonia. So that's a disordered voice. That's a voice disorder. Okay. Go, going back to the Adam's apple. So let's say, for example, um, if I've got healthy, if I'm healthy right now and I remove my Adam's apple, what would that do to my vocal cords, if anything? You probably wouldn't have a voice at all. So people that have throat cancer? Yeah. And you know how they get the valve put in? Mm-hmm. So they've completely taken out their vocal folds. Ah, okay. So that's, so that's all. Yeah. They I learn... Thought- yeah, I just thought, say, I thought it was just a protection mechanism, but it's actually part of it as well. Okay. Yeah, they completely take out the vocal cords. So sometimes, like, depending where the cancer is. Um, so some people will use the... Um, and you've got those... Cra- I reckon... Oh, you know what I'm picturing? Oh, this is my crazy thought. I'm picturing, like, a crazy Mexican putting a cigarette into that valve hole and smoking. Could they, could they potentially do that? <laughs> so I remember it was my second or third year at uni. I had a placement and I had to clean that out. I had to clean out someone's trackie or something. Mm. Wow. Disgusting. Never. I think that's why I don't smoke. What do you, what do you clean it with? Like, what did you like saline or something? Yeah. Saline, bicarb. Yeah. <laughs> I could imagine all yeah. the gunk in it. What, what would it be like the residue left in there? If you could describe it sort of. So, um, it's kind of like dried mucose. So dry, like saliva, dry. Yeah, never, pretty much. So, how many people now? Like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the biggest weirdo, like, and just like go and spit outside and just wait for the saliva to dry and see what it looks like. So, on this topic, so when someone has, say, a stroke or a brain injury on a Friday afternoon, mm-hmm. um, so we look at swallowing. We have to do the first swallowing assessment for a client to have anything in their mouth. So if someone comes in on a Friday afternoon after the speech is knocked off in a hospital and they don't get seen until a speechy on Monday morning when they start work, they haven't had anything in their mouth. So the first thing that you see is someone's dried mouth but not having any water in there for 48 hours. It stinks. It is just, if I can find a photo for you. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you can, you got some people that obviously just sleep overnight and they've got like the morning breath. So you could imagine. Yeah, what... imagine that, but like worse because they can't even have a drink of water. So it just keeps building up and bacteria keeps building up. I remember once doing a aura motor exam, so looking in someone's mouth and they had thrush on their tongue. Did you ask that person how they got it? Sorry. Poor old hygiene. Yep. Really? Wow. I've had probably 80 year old ladies tell me that they've never drank water in their life, but they drink like heaps of coffee and tea. 
which actually dries out your vocal folds and they had voice issues. They had told me they'd never had water before in their life and it pains me and you wonder why they have voice issues. That is, that is so interesting because that, that actually reminds me of my, my mum's sister. So my auntie, she's actually, she was a smoker back in, I think now she's quit. So probably, you know, a pack a day smoker. Uh, yep. And she religiously would drink like, wouldn't drink water or probably if anything, very little water, but would drink like a bottle, like a big bottle, like a two liter bottle of lemonade every day. And then she'd be like, oh, I've switched to the sugar-free version. Like she's proud of it. So that type of lifestyle would obviously contribute to, a terrible, terrible sound. Definitely. Did she have a terrible sound? She does. And I thought, you see, it's interesting because I assumed it was because of smoking, but obviously that would exacerbate it. Yeah. I find my voice goes real, like I get a bit of glottal fry this time on a, like a Friday afternoon, especially if I've had a big week at work. And that's where I'm always mindful on my own voice because people look at me at my voice. So I always have to show a nice front, but this time on a Friday, it's a bit rough. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, um, I've never really, you know how everyone like, I know maybe not everyone, but probably some people that don't smoke have tried smoking. Like I was like, I'm just going to try it even though I'm not interested, like one of those people. And I did it. And I, and when I was like trying to inhale, I'm like, I'd actually have no idea how this even is satisfying. It just made no sense to me. Um, but I actually do like the taste of a cigar in my mouth. So how bad is that? I've never actually looked into, um, Cigar smoking, but I can yeah. guarantee it's probably the same as um, normal smoking. Oh, you don't actually inhale it, do you? No, you don't. So you, yeah, hold it in your mouth. So it's probably not going to affect your vocal folds that much, but it might cause some oral hygiene issues. Yeah, it's not going to be the best for your teeth. No, teeth, tongue, back of throat, yeah. Going to females, right? So I want to ask you to switch to the book because I know a lot of people are probably waiting for this. So bodybuilding yeah. and Females. So let's say, for example, you know, first of all, what is your opinion on ladies that use PEDs, not just in bikini, but in bodybuilding in general? I honestly think each to their own, if that's what they've chosen and they've done a bit of research behind it. I'm one that's, that would research something thoroughly before even trying it. I have researched PEDs myself. Like I can nearly tell you what's going to happen week one, week two, week three, just me as a person. I do think a lot of ladies don't research, use them incorrectly and then end up with these effects later on that are irreversible, such as voice disorders, whether they get more male characteristics where they can't turn back time and go back to being more feminine. And I think that's a big mistake that females make. Um, But if you know how to use them properly and you have great guidance, go for it. Mm, Okay. So with the ladies that have gone down because I assume because like I'm a complete noob, right? So like the way that I look at it would be from a coaching point of view, I've seen and heard ladies that have, you know, just a slight difference in their voice. Then I have a deeper tonality, then it's really bad. Then it's like extreme. So do you have levels that you categorize depending on how it sounds and the tonality when you diagnose? And the question that I have for you is, you know, for someone that's extreme, they probably may not be treatable. I'm assuming that would be the case, but can you treat, people that are in early stages of their, of damaging their vocal cords. Yeah, of course. Um, so we do have different levels and it's just your basic mild, moderate, severe, and then you have profound. Um, so someone that has probably a severe to profound voice disorder. So the ladies that people come off as trannies, we do actually have kind of like specific programs for females like that. 
typically they do undergo surgery. So as I said before, you like what happens to males in puberty will happen to the same to a female. Their voice will um, become deepened because their vocal folds have actually thickened. Yeah. And they lengthen. So for a male during puberty, they can grow up to one centimeter. Um, and that's the exact same with a female. Hence why they normally have more of an Adam's apple. Um, so I've read a couple of studies around this and most of the time it is irreversible when it has happened um, for so long. And there is a really cool study and this probably is a little bit concerning. Um, there was a woman, she was 27, a figure competitor. A figure competitor. <laughs> yeah. So she was 27. Um, she had a, a six week cycle of anabolic steroids and it caused permanent damage. So she did a six-week cycle, was followed around for 20 years. So there's not much study actually around the effects that it does have on the voice. Right. Um, so she had multiple surgical interventions to increase her pitch. She presented with severe vocal fold atrophy. So atrophy is weakening of the muscle. And so when tested with blood tests, she had an abnormal low testosterone levels, which can happen coming off. So with her, because um, it had already was that much damage it was irreversible the surgeries didn't work because there was that much damage there what a speechy would normally do is work on pitch loudness the quality of the voice so definitely um, focusing on vocal hygiene starting off with warm-ups like warm-ups are so important doesn't matter if you have taken anabolic steroids or not like warming up your voice every morning and then a lot of females it's finding the voice that they want um, so that's what we use with female like males that are trying to transition into a female like what is your ideal voice um and then trying to work with that so with so with pitch it's really on whether you want more of a higher pitch or you want a low pitch or where you want to sit in the middle a lot of males prefer females to have a higher pitch mm. and then we look at the loudness so loudness is really big on um how strong your voice is so for someone that does sound that little bit higher, if they have a very quiet voice, it's going to sound higher. But if they have a louder voice, then it's going to come across a little bit deeper already. I always get told mine's kind of in the middle. So for someone that is starting PEDs and they want to watch their voice, um, definitely working on warm-ups is a big thing for them. Um, make sure you do warm up your voice having people around you that are going to be honest with you and tell you if your voice is changing. Um, I personally don't specialise in voice. Um, there's that many vocal co coaches around here. One of my uni lecturers is one of the best ones in Australia. She's great. Um, and then I've had other uni lecturers that work with opera singers and singers around that they give advice. If anybody wants advice, it is around. Working on your hygiene, um, so vocal hygiene, so not yelling. If you're in the gym, don't grunt, please. Um, don't do the secondary behaviours such as smoking, drinking, excess caffeine, anything that dries your vocal folds out. Talking for long periods of time, pretty much don't do things that are off your voice. Let's say, for example, um, you know, I've, I've done my PED. I'm doing PEDs. I've probably gone to, I don't know, like a mild level of, of change my tonality as a female. Obviously, doing lifestyle choices and making sure that I'm not smoking, drinking and all these things. Cause that couldn't actually contribute to it probably more than what people think. So 
the PEDs could start the process. And the next thing you know, your lifestyle is actually influencing the rest of the damage. And that's normally what happens. Yeah. So the first thing, yeah, as I said, the first thing we look at is pitch. So where you want your pitch to be, like if you're, obviously they want it higher. That's why they've come to a speechy, their voice is deepened. They want a higher pitch. So with changing the pitch, we work on the, the typical voice, when you think of voice therapy, we go through the octaves and you start off with a lower pitch and you slowly work your way up. I'm not that great at it. That's okay. I don't know any better. <laughs> we need to get someone like Taylor, who actually is really good at singing. You should be able to do it. Taylor can do it, yeah. Someone like Taylor, someone that knows how to sing. They'd be able to show you great how to do it. Um, so that's, yeah, working with different pitch ranges, trying to find the one that you want. And then with that, we really practice around that pitch. So trying to reach that pitch and then try and talk at that pitch. And then you start off with your basic words and then you go into more um, two words and then you go into sentences and then slowly working your way into using that pitch continuously. And then, yeah, looking into the loudness. So that's breathing. So that's where um, breathing control, learning um, abdominal breathing instead of breathing from your chest, breathing from your stomach. So you have more power behind the voice. Like now in, in let's say in bodybuilding or bikini, you know, a lot of people are doing vacuumings now and doing yeah. diaphragm training. So it's so, yeah, I've, I find it very curious that this is all interrelated. Like your body's connected in a big way that we don't even really realize. Yeah. And that's where vacuums are great. Cause they do teach you how to um, abdo breathe. So we have used this a lot with patients that have so COPD, so that's breathing disorder, so emphysema, if they've got asthma. And so we teach them actually how to breathe properly so they're not breathing from their chest and doing the shallow breathing because um, we find that they will often have shortness of breath and when they try and talk, they're constantly taking a breath every two seconds. And it's great for bodybuilding because you have to hold the poses. So Right. Is it, is it true that when you're not breathing, if you're breathing through your chest, um, like structurally, your stomach sits in a way, like you need to, if you're breathing through your stomach or your diaphragm, it releases your stomach and then it, you can feel your lungs a little bit better. Is that a, is that a true theory? So what happens is <laughs> I will go through breathing. So when you take a breath in and you breathe through your diaphragm, mm -hmm. so it opens your lungs, your diaphragm comes down and it feels like a balloon. Yeah. Um, so your lungs feel like balloons and it pushes your diaphragm down. And then when you take a breath, it all comes up. Yeah. Um, so when you're breathing from your ch chest, you're not getting full capacity of your lungs. They're not blowing up like a balloon. Your diaphragm's not coming down, mm. which you see very often people breathe from their chest. And that could also be like, you know, if you're anxious or yeah. you know, something's going on, you're just like, okay, cool. Need to chill out and need to breathe through your diaphragm. Yeah, and that's what we teach um, clients first how to do when they're laying down and then slowly recline. Um, we work with it a lot more with aged care, um, but breathing is one of those ones that we're really cautious of because physios also work with breathing a lot too, so we don't like that crossover. Yeah, like that's quite separate. You mentioned before like like muscle like you know, have, and having weakness in the muscle, so obviously that means that you can build and strengthen the muscle. So what are the things that you can do for someone that, you know, potentially has damaged their voice, you know, what, what are some exercises? So back again, humming, humming's great. Um, 
one of my uni lectures tells a story about she had a client who had paralysis of the vocal folds and she really wanted to work with pushing them together. So she said she had them in the room, pushing against a wall, trying to like force and bear down so that they could come together. But you don't want them to come together too strong. It's like clearing your throat. You clear your throat, it is really bad because your vocal folds are absolutely slammed together. Coughing, they're always like they're slammed together and that's where vocal nodules can come about when there's too much um, force. And then you can have bleeding of the vocal folds and so then, so, got, so then technically, if you've got a sore throat, like if I've just got like a, you know, like a flu, et cetera, or if you've got COVID-19, coughing is probably going to make it worse. Yes. Isn't that ironic? Can so, we... so then would you then, you're obviously not a GP, but from a vocal set, like from a throat point of view, would you then recommend cough syrup to prevent coughing? No. No, that's even worse. No. So we, um, I don't know if every speech you around, but I know I was always taught. So you sore throat lollies, like your soothers, your butter menthols are actually not great. Um, so what they do, they only moisten slightly, but then because they've caused extra mucosa, it's not great. Because it doesn't even go down to your um, right. vocal folds. It goes down your... Esophagus. Esophagus, yes. <laughs> yeah, it goes down the esophagus, not actually down your trachea. Yeah, unless yeah. unless it, but don't hear unless it goes it goes down your trio if you're probably you if, if you're breathing and eating at the same time. Yes, which is a serious problem. Yeah, it's actually called penetration. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know when you choke on your saliva. I don't like think I've ever done like, that. That sounds like some yeah. hillbilly shit. <laughs> <laughs> some people will choke on their own saliva, and it's um, depending on how far it goes down, and if you cough for a reflex. Wow, well, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound so friendly penetrate your vocal folds and, you bring wow. that up. and then some people don't even have that reflex so they can drink and we work a lot with dysphagia and that's a disordered swallowing um people get pneumonia because they don't have the reflex to protect their swallow and your body's always going to take over breathing over swallowing at the end no. of the day it's going to prioritize breathing yeah because i mean mm, everything's done automatically anyway but i, I suppose yeah. Uh, well, when you're, when you're swallowing, that's also automatic too. You have a, like a conscious yeah. ability to turn either on and off, but yeah, I, I suppose that would Swallowing is probably my favorite area. I love swallowing, um, the swallowing area. It is really cool to actually listen to someone swallow. I used to always, when we were doing the course, I'd love listening around to everybody's swallow. What's so fascinating oh about God. it? I think because it's just not something we ever think about. Like it's swallowing, you do it. All the time you swallow saliva 24 7. Yeah, love it, it's different. I want to look into pediatric feeding, so that's with infants, so from birth till seven, and feeding around that, whether it's breastfeeding issues, they've had structural issues, everything. That's my little area. Yeah, I, I want to go back and touch on something. So, you mentioned you know, surgical, so yes. If, so for anyone that's not just obviously talking about ladies and PDs, but anyone that has damaged their vocal cords that would opt in for surgery, what are the, some of the treatment options and what are, you know, if you could put it like a maybe a percentage on, you know, what type of percentage would it, I suppose, help a situation. And, you know, you mentioned before as well, sometimes ladies are a little bit too far gone in terms of the, the like the vocal cord damage. So 
at what point would surgery be okay? And then what could be the potential outcome from surgery? And then you also mentioned multiple surgeries before from that, that case study. So could you also talk about that? Yeah, of course. So reason why people have surgery is to thinnen, um, so try and take some of the extra thickening out. Um, that could be to take nodules off. It could be to fix if someone's bleeding to try and fix that up if they've got paralysis. So many different reasons why people have surgery. Some, like strokes and stuff, so one half of their vocal folds may not work, whereas the other one does, so they have surgery to try and fix that. Um, so normally we try speech pathology, like try a like at least six-week block of therapy to see whether we could try and get some improvement. Normally if we do get some improvement, we do try and keep pushing. If there's no improvement, that's when we will suggest with an ENT. So we normally don't just straight off the bat say surgery. We normally have advice from an ENT, so ear, nose, throat um, surgeon, because that's their kind of area. They um, conduct the surgery, so we palm that off to them. We just yeah. do the background work, palm it off, they do the rest. Um, so after surgery, we do recommend a little bit of vocal rest, um, given that probably shouldn't be talking straight after you have surgery. But we don't want too long where it's going to cause more harm than good. We never really suggest complete vocal rest for anybody for a long period of time because that causes more harm later on when they go to use their voice and they've lost muscle memory. Um, we look at starting on how to even use your voice. So we do start back at your basic sounds, um, trying to get them to use what they once had. Um, with surgery, it, it is, it's not going to go back to what you had. Your voice is never going to go back to normal. Um, even after, I know people after they've had tonsillitis, their voice has never gone back to normal. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so little slight structural changes. So that could have um, like le um, laryngitis, like going down. Um, so any structural change can change your voice. So say you've broken your nose and there's no resonance coming out. We didn't, haven't spoken about resonance before. So that's actually... Um, the sound that's produced through your nose. So us Queensland, well, I'm not even from Queensland, but Queenslanders have higher resonance, which means they sound more nasally. I always get the joke because I'm a Victorian, I don't sound the same as them up here. So, so say someone broke their nose, their voice is going to sound differently because they can't say their nasal sounds properly. Or if you lose teeth, your voice sounds different because you don't have your teeth to change the way the sound waves come out. Um, so the same with if you have any swelling and any structural damage, it's not going to go. It's not going to sound the same because something's changed and the sound waves are not vibrated the exact same. They're not coming out the same way that they once did. Um, so yeah, surgery is normally the last option when someone has a voice disorder, just because it is pretty invasive and it's irreversible. So once you have surgery once, you can't go back. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we just then work on if it's someone who is of age or someone that has had serious surgery um, due to paralysis, we work on preserving what they have so they may never actually talk again. And that's when we have to look into options such as um, the tracheostomy where they do have the valve put in, um, whether they use other alternative and augmentative communication. So possible sign language gestures, 
if it's severe, they could have a speech generating device, efficacy basic pen and paper. Um, I had worked with a client at uni who had a voice disorder from, he had um, ALS, so his voice was disintegrating. So we worked on using an alphabet board because that's all that he could use. So you kind of work with each individual with what they can use and that's worst case scenario. So with the lady that had had multiple surgeries, so she would have had one, wouldn't have worked, mm. there would have been still more scarring, swelling, everything. So they've gone back and tried to fix that and it's caused more issues, more complications. So every time you have surgery, it's going to cause more complications because they're scarring. Uh, and so uh, there's scarring and swelling and then there's possibility of bleeding out. Um, there's, yeah, normally high risk of swelling and bleeding out. For a lady that's gone down the road where she's damaged her vocal her voice box, you know, you're probably looking at someone with a medium level at the most to, to do some, do some changes. So what changes could they see um, potentially out of, out of surgery as a last resort? So their voice definitely will be different. Um, so just given that, yeah, structural changes. So often it could be weaker. So they could have a weaker voice given that the muscles are not as strong as they once were. Your pitch will have changed. Um, so whether it has deepened or because they can't really shrink it back. So females, vocal folds are smaller, um, not as long as a male. No, they are. They're not as long as males because males grow. Um, so their voice will technically be deeper. Um, they will be thinner, so they will be not as deep, but still a little bit deeper. Um, so they will have, yeah, the pitch issues, there will be loudness issues given the fact that their muscles aren't as strong as they once were. Having a breathy voice could be a complication that could happen um, because when you do have surgery, there could be opening for um, air to come out while you're breathing, which when that happens, we have to work on actually getting the vocal folds together. And that's where we use the reverse of when we say don't, we're not, we don't tell them to throat clear, but you teach um, people how to do an onset where the way the voice comes together, they synchronise, they come together nicely and you won't even recognise that someone is using it, but they use um, compensatory techniques to hide the fact that, yeah, there is some voice issues going on. That so, is, yeah. yeah. If, if I had that issue, like I would totally, because I mean, look, for the ladies out there that obviously have done some silly things, with PEDs, like the, it's probably a, a wise decision to see a speech pathologist and that way you can start the process and see if you can do anything because obviously, you know, it is a concern for some ladies to sound feminine. Definitely, definitely. Um, even beforehand, I know myself, I'm very open. If anybody ever wanted to send me a message, even with a voice recording, um, I'm happy to tell you if it is becoming a little bit masculine. Um, but I know most speeches are very open about it and they'd rather help then let the voice become completely irre irreversible where you can't come back from it and you will be stuck with a voice that you may not be happy with. Yeah. Is it very easy for you to identify, you know, when it is irreversible or is testing sort of required to get to that conclusion? You kind of have an idea. Um, I know myself, you're always listening out for everybody's voice. I analyze absolutely everybody's voice that I talk to. Um, but you kind of have an idea of when it is, in the severe range and because we've drilled so much at uni on the different ranges, um, 
you kind of know when it is a point where as much therapy as you do, you're not going to get much, you're not going to get what the client wants. And we always try and work towards what is achievable because sometimes you will have to tell these ladies that that nice feminine voice that you used to have, it's not coming back. Like you've actually done damage and you're not going to get it back. Okay. So you also mentioned structural changes. So for example, if someone does break their nose, does that mean if, if for example, if a structural change could be a simple thing, if you got a nose job, for example, would that then potentially? Yes. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, so they're really nasally and then on the opposite. So there's no air coming through the nose. And so that's for people that do sometimes get nose jobs because of breathing issues. Um, so they sound like they have a block nose. Right. Yeah, work with people that are the opposite. Yeah, so you got, you're, um, like the sleep, the sleep apnea would obviously be an issue. So yeah, people would yeah. have nose jobs for that reason, and then potentially could improve their their voice. Yeah, normally does improve the quality of their voice. Um, definitely improves the quality of voice because you've actually had sleep, um, which sleep's very important. The sleep hydration. I drink close to five liters of water a day. Just keep everything hydrated. That's yeah, I drink a lot of water. Um, don't recommend anybody drink five liters, but, but you, you are in Queensland sweating your ass off compared to being in Melbourne. That's true. And not many people up here drink water. No, unfortunately not. Like it's 24 degrees right here, right here in Rockhampton. Mm. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what it was today. I didn't even look. Um, so I wanted to talk to you as well. Is, is there anything that you think that we've, we haven't touched on regarding the voice? Um, so your vocal polyps, nodules, that's from vocal misuse. So a lot of teachers, so that when oh, they yes. use their voices. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. This is what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah, so I've actually got a question on this. So I actually forgot yeah, about it. So can you fix voice nodules from straining yeah. your voice? So first of all, what's a voice nodule? So nodules, I'll have to pull up a photo to show you, but voice nodules are like little growths on the vocal folds. Um, everybody go have a little look oh, that's not the nodules i wanted to look at that was not a nice nodule you get nodules in other areas so they're like little gross like little cysts on the oh, vocal wow. folds yeah so what they do is they actually change the structure of the voice um the structure of the vocal folds so they can cause more air to come through so breathy so vocal nodules are kind of when someone comes in you can kind of tell whether they're going to have vocal nodules or polyps which are same type of thing. Um, so someone that has vocal nodules, you can kind of tell because they're hoarse, so they're rough, um, low-pitched voice, they're quite breathy, and it's more common in say, singers, teachers, um, what, like professional voice users. Yeah. We were talking about earlier like PTs in the gym. So PTs that yell and scream, um, they can develop vocal nodules. Mm. And then, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. so th 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 so that would obviously affect the quality of your voice. So what can you do to fix it? So normally nodules is surgery. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so you do work on a bit. So this is where we have the ENT um, do a camera down, um, have a look at that. And if they do have nodules, it's pretty much straight surgery. And then you work on the recovery later. It's not a severe surgery, so they do just take the nodules off, but it does leave some scarring. So you will have some voice change post-surgery, just given that there has been some structural changes. 
but you work on bringing yeah, the vocal folds together because they normally are breathy um, before then. So if you can kind of prolong surgery, you try, but depending on how far gone it is. That's intense. All I'm thinking about now is like all the things that I've done wrong in my, in my lifetime with my voice. How does, how does my voice sound, the health of the voice? Is it normal or is it like average or what is it? It is a little rough, um, a little bit hoarse, <laughs> a little bit dry. Um, I need to have mine, some more honey. As I said, mine's pretty bad at this time of the afternoon on a Friday. First thing Monday, it's normally great. Or on a Saturday morning when I've had a bit of rest, I haven't slept much this week, which affects also your voice. Stress, stress will also impact because, yeah, you don't sleep, your body's tense. Um, we recommend a lot of people, um, actually bodybuilders. This is a great one for bodybuilders that do have issues with muscle tension. If you normally have tight traps, tight head and neck, your voice will be strained. Um, well, not will be, but can be strained just because you're holding that much tension. Yeah. And you can normally... I need to get, a, I need to get a massage. I haven't had a massage since... Probably, I don't know, I've been in lockdown for seven months, so it's at least since then. Benefits, I haven't seen Courtney for a while, so my friend Courtney, the physio, she massages me quite often. Um, but with vocal, um, your speech, you will, we can give head and neck massages when we're in clinic. Um, probably not in Victoria, I'm not sure the restrictions around it there, but um, you can actually move your whole, like, vocal folds, or not your vocal folds, like your whole, like, structure side to side and see how tight it is. Um, someone that doesn't have much range of motion generally will have a more strained voice. Mm. And that's that painful voice. Normally when you hear someone with a strained voice, it's that painful that you know that it hurts. And it's because the muscles are yeah. tight. I feel like I'm going to be super judgmental and super aware of this now. Like, I mean, not for the people that are like PED abusers, like that's obvious, but I'm talking about like the everyday Everybody. person. Now it's like, I probably won't be able to switch off now. That's us. Like, I remember going into uni. I don't know if we spoke about how I got into speech. Um, I remember my first, like, week of uni. I was like, oh, yeah, like, speech to teach people how to talk. Mm. My mm. mind was blown. And now I can't go through talking with a stranger, with people I know, watching a movie, watching TV. I'm, like, instantly judging someone's voice. Yeah. You would, do you, for example, you'd listen to some debates or maybe entertainers and you're like, wow, your projection or your tonality is really awesome. And then you'll have people that are like, like really low energy. I, I sh that, is that, is that, would that be considered whispering to say? No, no, that's okay. just, that's just being, no that's just sounding really lazy and yeah, zero. Effort. And that's where glottal fry comes in. Ooh. It's when you don't put effort and yeah, you do, you start frying. So I got to be high energy all the time, but not too high where I'm screaming. Yeah, pretty much. That's what I have to, you, and it can be tiring. So when you haven't done it and you've been stuck in that low, that real low, like you have no energy, mm. it can be tiring. Mm. Like I know myself after a full day of work, after having to put so much effort into my voice, I'm exhausted, absolutely exhausted. And teachers can be absolutely exhausted because they use their voice all day. I feel like I need to go on some sort of program for voice health. <laughs> Well, as I, yeah, so there is actually a voice care for teachers from the Victorian Education Department that works on voice. In our fourth year of uni, we actually had to run a program with, at the uni, we had volunteers come in and we ran a four-week program and we taught them how to use their voice properly. Most of them were from the call centre who sat in aircon, the worst, like, environment for your voice. Aircon just constantly pumping out calls all day, drinking coffee. 
See, that's another thing. So how does one know apart from, well, obviously you'd have to teach the person, but how, how would one, how would I know, for example, right now, if I'm maximizing my voice? Um, so do you feel like it's more around like, how do you feel when you do it? Um, if you're feeling fatigue and stuff, obviously you're probably overusing, you're probably putting too much. If you're, I think it's a personal preference really on how you want your voice to sound. And that then comes into problems with the vocal misuse. Cause sometimes people want to have a breathy voice and that's all they want to aim for. They want that what is deemed to be that sexy, breathy voice. Mm. People want that. Yeah. Have to try and educate them that, no, that is not healthy for you. <laughs> um. it's, not, it's probably, it's not, it's not healthy for your voice box. It's not healthy psychologically either. Yes. Pretty much it's all personal. Like everybody's different. Everybody's voice range is different. Um, and that's making ensuring like we do go through the loudness levels with someone and see like go from their quietest to the loudest and kind of see what sits in the middle. Um, a lot of the time we use biofeedback. So we actually have voice recordings where you can see the sound waves. Um, this works great with kids where they can actually visually see their voice ranges and how much noise they make. They love making noise. So like when you get to show people how much like feedback they get, they tend to pick um, what they think is the most healthy for them and what sounds the best to them. How common is voice damage amongst the general population? It is estimated that 4% of the general population experience voice disorders in one year. I remember when I was, um, I reckon, I can't remember like what it was, but I was in primary school and I think I said, like, what was I doing? I was doing something really stupid. And I would say that I'm above, let's hope I'm above average level intelligence, but with speaking, I'm pretty confident that I used to use W's instead of L's. Instead of saying lolly, I would say, what we, is that? So that's like, very common. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's what I actually work with more at the moment. So I work with, as I said, um, primary school kids. Hmm. So I'm working with the ages where they are developing sounds. So given that R, so the left, like the sound R is probably your last sound that you actually learn to make. Um, L's at the end of the range too, whereas W is the first sound, one of the first sounds you actually produce. So there's a group of eight sounds that are the first eight sounds and then anything after kind of develop, um, develops later on as you go. And the more exposure, the more you'll be able to pick it up. I actually worked with a client... So Wednesday, who was having issues with R's and L's, he's an adult. Um, so we went back and speaking with him was actually, he could make the sounds in isolation, but he couldn't do it in spontaneous speech. It was just, he was nervous. So when he was nervous, he was going backwards to W's. Um, it is super common with kids um, to have speech sound errors. We just hope that they develop into actually being able to sound correctly. Yeah, it is very common and we work around actually can the client hear the sound first so that's where hearing comes a lot into it too can they hear the sound properly because if they can't hear the sound properly they're not going to be able to produce it mm. and that's why people that have hearing impairments often have the altered speech yeah so if i'm gonna if i want to have like a in the future when i want to have like a super baby and i want to influence this baby's tonality can i give this baby an American accent living in Australia? I'm seeing that more common now. Ooh. So given how many kids sit and watch TV, 
the amount of little ones that I have in, say, prep and grade one that say car, and it's Australian, we don't use R's on the end. There's no car <laughs> sound on the end of it. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of other different sounds that we don't use in certain places where other cultures do. Um, a lot of Asian cultures really struggle to speak English, um, especially Australian, because they don't use R's and L's. Oh, maybe they use L's. They don't use R. There's another sound that they don't use. So in when we were at uni, we had to do a placement around English speaking um, and teaching mm. um, or accent modification. So, yeah, we do accent modification where we go through and help them because Australians, we're very like tonal we do use a lot of different tones it's exaggerated you're like we're adding on like a few extra letters all the time and instead of australia it's australia (laughs) and then it's like i seen something the other day we don't say have you eaten yet wow yeah Yeah. and even even that yeah (laughs) yeah everything's exaggerated yes um and as we learn, so when we do the speech, we learn a whole different alphabet, like a language, what we call the international phonemic alphabet. So that's phonemes. So that's each little sound has their own little phoneme. And so when we're writing out like a child's speech um, assessment, we write in like a different language. Mm. And that's how mm. we can tell whether they're not using the sounds correctly in words, in sentences, when people just slam like four words together, like digit, and we see how much Australians are actually lazy. Australians are very lazy in the way we talk. Wow. So, all right. Like Arvo. Yeah, exactly. I'm putting it out there. So I'm going to have, so I'm going to have two kids. My boy is going to be having an American accent and my girl's going to have a POM accent. You can do that. If you expose them from such a, like, you're not going to your brother's, you're not allowed to go to your brother's room because he's going to influence your tonality. And uh, you separate them long enough, they'll create those habits. And then once they've got those habits, we're good. How long then, does it take to develop that habit of, you know, I suppose, listening to that tonality and implementing it? Like, in what, like, age? Is I it don't like, know, actually. That's actually you know? a really good thing that would be cool to study. Mm. Maybe you can have your children be, like, the get, we're going to do a guinea guinea pigs guinea pigs yeah yeah so one's going to be so we've got an American he's going to be like an MMA fighter and um, we'll make the, the little girl she can be like a barrister oh we're, we're a little barrister we use them as guinea pigs she could, she could practice Not talking to a judge yeah she can practice talking to a judge in her spare time in her room she can set up her dolls as the jury and everything like proper and that's why so different parts of Australia have the different um sounds so it depends on their influence in their environment so i'm like a black sheep up here so everybody's always like holly you have an accent i'm like i don't have an accent yeah Uh, whereas when i'm back home in victoria it's fine but being up here where everybody's a little bit more nasally they're a bit bogan up here okay cool so especially up here in central queensland yeah. So if I yeah, I decide to move up there, then I'm going to be like a cool cat with a different accent. Depends where you move to. So I so I'm in central Queensland. So we're kind of more farming. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit bogan up here. Yeah. So then that would be, I suppose, the equivalent to maybe Bendigo in Victoria. Yeah. Actually, I was trying to think this before. So I, 
picture Rocky. So I'm in Rockhampton. It's very similar to Ballarat. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that would be very Bogan. Very. Okay. Very. Yeah, right. That's, I'm that's why I match them together. See, this is what I also wanted to know, actually. Um, I'm a big fan of, you know, let's say if you watch like a 1950s film and everyone sounds so 1950s, how come the accents or the American accents or the actors back then sound so 1950s? And then if you listen, like if you watch a, a film right now with today's actors, they sound very Americanized. Like what happened in that time frame? I guess given environment, the way things have changed, um, obviously... The world's changed. Because um, they used to sing so cool back then as well. Like in the 30s yeah. and 40s, their voices were just epic. And now I just feel like the singers aren't as... The talent's there, I, but the, it doesn't, it's not as cool. I think, yeah, change as in like what's, what's cool at the time. So obviously something better came up. So everybody tried to go towards the new sound. Um, it's like I said with the Kardashians. There's so much glottal fright at the moment because everybody wants to sound like the Kardashians because that's... Yeah, they do. When you're Australian and you sound like a Kardashian, you're retarded. I'm sorry. Well, actually, no, I'm not sorry. Take that back. You're you're just retarded. You are. You're you're really bad and you're causing a lot of vocal issues. (laughs) But you make me money, so it's okay. You're making making us money. And, um, yeah, I I don't understand that. But I guess, yeah, it's a – I guess I suppose you're modelling. Like, that's what people do. You know, a brother and a sister – will probably model each other in some way and will copy and then the tonality gets there yeah. and it will be same as watching TV and then you're watching, oh, Kim's awesome. So I love Kim and I'm going to copy everything she does because she's a boss bitch. And next thing you know, everyone's taking selfies because Kim's like Captain Selfie yeah. and now we have Instagram and it's loaded. This shit's fucking yeah. loaded. What I think is super interesting, especially over in England, how each different little like suburb has their own little accent. So my family are over there and... One of my cousins was born in London and he sounds so different to his brother that grew up around, um, I think they were a little bit west and they sound so different yet they grew up 40 minutes apart. Yeah. I've got a, I've got like, there's one client in particular that's from, um, from, from there and she sounds so cool, but they, they do have different accents, even yeah. Americans. Like, I mean, how many different accents different for in a different state? Like the, I love the new, the New York accent. Like Trump's accent's hilarious. Like I watched yeah. the presidential debate today and I just find it's not just his character, but his tonality is hilarious. And that's what makes him. Um, so yeah, your voice is like a fingerprint. It's so unique to you that I think that it makes you. Mm. And when but, you go ahead and change it, you lose that identity. Would it be very difficult for someone to say, copy the tonality of my voice? Like, cause obviously you've got, like you mentioned, it's like a fingerprint. How difficult is it for someone to replicate or copy one's voice? You have to turn around pretty much and say that it's not going to be that exact voice. You can try as hard as you can, um, structural reasons. Mm. It's not going to be the exact same. You don't have the exact same structure. You might have your left, like vocal fold might be a little bit slower. Like it just might be something tiny, but you may never actually get that ideal voice. That's why we kind of give a bit of an approximate. Um, we do like yeah. to use inspiration. So a lot of um, transgender will have, like we normally ask them, what is your ideal voice? See, we try and really try and work with that. That's exactly, that's that was actually one of my questions I want to ask you. There's so random. That's got nothing to do with bodybuilding. But for the lady boys in, in Thailand, right, a lot of them have had at least what I would assume their 
Adam's apple removed, how would they still then have a voice? Like a, a voice. It's very light. So they haven't that... had the Adam's apple. So they've had surgery. Yeah. To reduce the thickness of their vocal folds. Okay. And then. And then like... on having... Oh, okay. That makes sense. And then next thing you know, they're talking really soft and. That's yeah. You're used to compensatory. So yeah, you learn how to talk softer. You learn how to not put like, and that's why, yeah, the manipulation, you can go backwards, you can pull it down to make it deeper or you can mm. bring it up and like physically manipulate that voice. is so cool. All right. So I've, I figured out, like, you know how you hear all these like, idiot dudes going to Thailand? Oh, no, she was a ladyboy, man. I swear I didn't know. All this shit. The answer is close your eyes and just listen <laughs> to them talk. Yeah. Game fucking over. You win the universe. You've, you know, like, you, if, if I could sort of get this, you know, audio to every dude in the country, they'd be so grateful because <laughs> I've just found out the solution. Just listen to their voice. It's like there's a really cool study um, around being able to pick up COVID signs in the voice before actually being tested positive. So you're asymptomatic. So what they think is going on is so when you do a, like a voice analysis, so when you look at the sound waves, you can already see the tension. So before someone is showing any signs of anything, there's finding there's a study going at the moment that they're finding that you can actually see the like the symptoms of a voice disorder and like stress, tension around the vocal folds showing up and then, yeah, they're testing positive for COVID. Wow. So that, that just blew my mind. So would that be very similar with any type of respiratory infection? Yes. So you would have obviously signs and then your voice is probably, so, I mean, would it be fair to say that your voice would be one of the main factors of health? Yeah. And that's when you can tell, yeah. Normally you can tell when someone's super run down because, um, yeah, they don't have as much energy in their voice um, and they will start, yeah, their voice will be different compared to, yeah, like a Monday morning when you're a bit more energised, normally not because you're going to work. But when you've had rest, when you've had, when you're healthy, your voice is healthy. But when you're run down, you're full of stress or you have a disease, yeah, it's changed mm. because so many different little indicators. And how they describe, I'm just trying to, there's a really cool way they describe on how it is all right it's like picture if the wrist and finger movements were to become stuck together like a pianist moving as one and then when you've gotten like covid mm. they would force the pianist to play a much simpler tune just like actually picture this speech subsystems as if they were the wrist and fingers of a skilled pianist normally the movements are independent and highly complex now, picture if the wrist and finger movements was to become completely stuck together, moving as one. So, meaning like they're forcing now, instead of being able to move freely, they're forced, they're fixed. They can't move as freely as they once were. Yeah. And that's going to change. Yeah. So, you're pretty much a, you're pretty much a robot. <laughs> yeah. You're a, you're a biological robot. Hmm. And, yeah, this study is in very early stages, um, given that it is only been a couple of months. But it, yeah, it's something that I'm following because it's super interesting to see if it's just the select few that they picked up on or if it's absolutely everybody because they found out in um, asymptomatic that they can generally pick it up in the voice. Yeah, that, that is so interesting. Like, yeah, I, I find this fascinating because, yeah, there's so many different markers of health, but, yeah, your your throat would probably have to be up there now as a, as a really good warning sign because your body obviously does produce some warning signs and gives you 
it's like, Hey, listen, this is something's happening. It's about to happen. It's like, if you're, if you, you've got to, if you, you know, you sort of know when you're getting really sick, like you're about to like, shit, I'm feeling it. I'm about to go down. And then you're like, do I rest or do I pretend like it's not happening? And if you don't rest, you wake up the next morning, you're screwed because you didn't go to bed early. Yes. And that's, I pick it up in myself. I know when I'm getting sick because I start to get a sore throat. Then I start pumping down some vitamin C. Um, and then I take a lot of rest. Um, and that's my first indicator. I always get a sore throat first. And it's probably just because I use my voice a lot more than your average person. But Yeah. When it comes to uh, vocal cord damage as well. So if you've got really thin vocal cords would then I would assume that the rate of use would have to be a lot lower than someone with a healthy, what you'd have to rest it more, wouldn't you? So the thinner, um, so that just means your pitch is higher. Um, it kind of goes off like the quality of your vocal fold. So if you do like after surgery and they are thinner, you're more likely to have scarring damage, which you do, you need a little bit more rest. You need, more hygiene so we really recommend not smoking not having high amounts of caffeine without water so for every cup of coffee we recommend two cups of water Mm. Um, even with cigarettes we recommend two cups of water just to keep everything hydrated because if you dry your vocal folds out then it leads more to you can bleed they can bleed you can have nodules I want to go back to one of the questions I probably should have asked you originally so you mentioned obviously you know you went to uni made the decision but what first made you want to get into this career path? I've been asked this so many times. Um, I feel like mine was a little bit of a different than normal. So typical grade 10 when you're told what are you going to do with the rest of your life? How, how terrible, like, just quickly, how fucking terrible are they stupid counsellors? Because you got all this pressure, you got this appointment, you're thinking about it for fucking two weeks and then you go in there and then you talk about it and you're actually more, I'm like, I was left puzzled. I had no fucking idea when I got out of that room. And I was like, and shit. I've read studies that are like the average child will change their mind 13 times between the ages of like 14 and 20. Mm. So could you imagine if that's what you stuck with when you were like 10? I'd be a princess. Um, so I was probably grade 10. I've always loved English. Loved it. I completed literature at school. I had a boss who mumbled and I just could not handle it. I was like, there's something wrong. I just can't grasp it. There's, I want to be able to fix this. Um, so I didn't actually know what a speech pathologist was. And until you deal with a speech pathologist personally, or you know one, you don't actually know what they do. Um, Uh, My friend Google, I kind of Googled careers around English um, and then speech pathology came up and I was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And here I am as a speech pathologist. Yeah, I think it's it's challenging. It's it's cool gig because I, I, like I said, I like obviously going to this, you knew that I didn't know much about it at all and I still need to learn a lot, but it is difficult to make a decision to go, I'm going to go to uni for four years. Is it a four year degree? Yeah, four years. Yeah, four-year degree and not know or have any work experience. I think that's the biggest problem with, you know, growing up and choosing a career path is not having work experience in that particular field and not knowing what it's about because how are you supposed to make a decision, a long-term decision, and for it to be the right one immediately without going through that process? And I think that it also changes as you develop and you get older as well. Like for me, 
It's taking me a shitload of time to get to where I am right now. And then, you know, am I going to pursue this further? What am I going to be doing in the next five years, et cetera. So especially when you've got that starting element as well. Oh, 100%. I remember my first, yeah, my first week of actual like speech, like course. I was like, is this actually what I want to do? Because it was not your typical teach kids how to talk. It was mind blowing to realize that we deal with swallowing voice, that it is actually broken up into different ranges of practice. Because, yeah, you think, oh, yeah, that's cool. You just teach kids how to correct their speech. That's easy. What do you, what do you want to do? Surely not four years. <laughs> Surely not four years. I know. But uh, it's you know, everything in itself. There's so many different fields. Do you, what do you want to do long-term with this? Is it, what do you see yourself doing, let's say, in the next five or ten years? So in the next five years, so I've actually applied to do my master's, not in speech, because I had a look, and it's very similar to I have a bachelor with honours. Very similar. Um, I could go down that pathway, not right now. So I want to do a master's in childhood development. So I love kids, love working with children. So with that, what I want to do is obviously build my knowledge around childhood development. And then I'd love to go into a master's of psychology and work on the little troubled children and work side by side with speech and how like the brain develops and how trauma and stuff as infants can affect language learning, um, speech development. I've had a lot of kids working with the education department. So I work with the public system that have a lot of issues and see how the past trauma is actually affecting their speech. I've got a lot of different pathways so that I'd love to venture into. I love working with Indigenous communities, hence why I actually really come up this way. Obviously, there's more exposure to Indigenous communities up here which I could still use psychology with that and childhood development around that. Um, I would love to eventually look into paediatric feeding. Like with speech, it's never ending. Mm. I can be in one area and then be able to move on to another area or join areas together. Um, my final, like where I want to end up in life, I'd love to be an ear, nose and throat surgeon. I think they're fascinating. Not right now for me, but that's where I'd love to end up around and throats, I'll end up back in voice. Oh, that's a, that's a big cycle. What, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I mean, this is what I think anyway. I think that potentially, including learning from a kid, everything is probably based on the kid's self-esteem, right? So they're obviously their upbringing would influence everything. A kid with really strong self-esteem probably wouldn't have speech issues or learning disabilities, provided that there's nothing wrong with the kid, of course, like just the average kid. Would yeah. you agree with that assessment? Yeah, 100%. Um, I really think that a lot of children, um, it's their environment. If they come from a poor environment that does not stimulate their learning, um, that just doesn't yeah, stimulate learning and stuff, they're going to obviously have some issues. Um, if there's trauma, trauma can impact learning so much because you are faced with practically brain damage. So trauma can cause some minor issues to brain development, um, which can then lead to learning difficulties. Um, if there's a history of um, learning difficulties, speech difficulties, any type of disorders, it can then be relating to the child. Interesting enough that a lot of children whose parents have anxiety, the child's going to have anxiety themselves because that's their environment. So I feel like 90% of, of, um, of complications in children do come from their environment. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. Like I'm like, I'm thinking about things in detail, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Parenting, I, I, parenting so like important. I went to a course with my first job and it was pretty much 70% of children nowadays have not touched a book. They don't even know what a book is. They don't know nursery rhymes because people are too busy. Yeah. I had, I had pretty good parents. My problem was, is that I was such a crazy kid though. I was absolutely hyperactive. So my, my mum did, a, well, my, mom, my parents, my dad did a good job too. Parents did, I knew like, for example, my 12 timetables by the time I was in, I was in prep, I could read fluently in prep. Yeah. And that was like abnormal. Like he, you're the freak kid that can read everything like fluently and you're in prep, you know? And then because I did that though, because I was obviously advanced at a young age, I became stupid bored and hyperactive and probably created this person that I am right now who gets bored with everything. And I just want to fucking everything to explode. So, you know, you got like, I think the issue with the schooling system is like, for example, I should have been homeschooled. I would need like my own teacher. This is all the work you need to do. Go for it. Rather than to be put into a system where you've got kids that still don't know how to read in grade fucking four. Like, and they're the ones that I work with, (laughs) you know, and that's the, that's the problem. And obviously they need a special attention, but when you're holding back kids that have got a special gift, they're intelligent. They want that information. They want to learn. Of course, they're going to act like a fucking lunatic if they're bored as shit because they've done this when they were six years old, you know, and they're in, yeah. in grade three or four. So that's what happened with me. I was like, that's so, yeah. And I believe the same. I believe just education, just your generic um, government funded and even just private as well. Like they just kind of put a blanket over everybody. Like everybody has to learn the same thing. It's not mm. individualized. Whereas homeschooling is individualized in saying that I have seen some bad cases out of homeschooling um, where the parent has kind of caused some more issues because their child is smart, but they're bringing it back because they can't, like a lot of children that um, are not vocal and they think they're not intelligent, but they're actually super intelligent. There's caused some issues there. Um, and that just shows that don't judge a book by its cover. Um, but yes, there's, I work with a lot of children that are very, what you perceive as naughty and people think they have learning difficulties when they don't. It's because it's not hard enough for them. It's not challenging enough for them. Yeah. I myself yeah. would bored super quickly if I'm not challenged. Yeah. I was, I was that kid too. Yeah. I was crazy, but um, it, it's funny though. Like, cause I mentioned, um, no shit. I learned all that, but I still had that speech thing. I don't know what age that speech thing was though. I wish I knew I'd have to ask my parents, but I, I remember like going into a room and like talking to this lady and it didn't, it wasn't for many sessions though. It was like, I, I don't recall it being for a long period of time. I think I've got it. Sometimes it is a quick fix. Sometimes it could just be um, actually more like tongue posture. Is the tongue in the correct spot? Yeah, on the, oh. yeah exactly. I think that's what it was. It was like the tongue needs to be on the roof. Yeah. How funny I remember this shit from like ages ago. Sometimes it's that easy, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Al, Al was on the roof. I think that's what it was. So it might have been one or two sessions I had with her. Can't recall, but. Sometimes, yeah, it can be a quick fix. Hmm, that's That's what we love. We love when it's like super quick and you don't have to come back. Yeah. Parents that are so upset when we tell them that, right, that's us finishing, like we're fixed. And they get so upset. And then we're like, no, that's what you want. Like you don't want to come, keep coming back. Yeah. You want progress. Like exactly. Like, I mean, you go to the gym because you want to build the biggest glutes imaginable. You're not going to be so upset if they explode overnight. What do you think about, you know, any up and comer, up and coming bikini athletes that you specifically like? So obviously you're fresh to the sport. You haven't competed yet. 
you know, no, you were no, supposed COVID to ruin my dreams. You're in, you're in prep and you're ready to rock. Um, cause we spoke off air. You're going to do the mid year and then you obviously can do season B nationals, but that you didn't get that opportunity. So it's cool to hear. Cause obviously the ladies that we have spoken to on the podcast are either going for, you know, the one and open show, they're going for a pro card or they are pro. So, you know, you're a very young, fresh competitor. So it's cool to get your insight for the ladies that are first timers as well. You know, who do you see coming up that isn't maybe in the top three at the Olympia that you really like as an athlete as well? I love Beatrice. Beatrice? Yeah, Beatrice. So Beatrice Biscaya, yeah. I was hoping you were going to say that. absolutely adore her. I think she is incredible. I've been, ever since I've seen her pink bikini, I think it was Arnold, I can't remember, when, when she had the pink bikini. Absolutely adore her. I think she's incredible. I think she has got what it takes. Yeah. I mean, I also like Attila is really nice. Yeah. See, yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember like Attila, um, I first saw her when, what was it? The 2018 Arnold amateur she did. And she didn't win that. That was over in the state. She didn't win that. Cause I had a client in the show. She won her, uh, open class, but didn't get into, I uh, didn't win the overall for the pro card, but I saw Attila then and I was like, shit, this woman looks amazing. And then obviously she's developed, but for me in the long run, if I was going to pick one or the other, I'm, I'm Beatrice all the way. I actually think Beatrice okay. can win the Olympia. And given her age, she has so much time. Absolutely. To just kill it. I think she's, yeah. And even she's very humble as a person too. She's, yeah. It's hard she's to hate hard. on someone like, that is just as humble as she is. And I think Laura Lee, probably for me, when I first met Laura Lee, I felt like she was in that category too. Angelica as well. I felt like Angelica's on that level. Um, And when you're that cool of a person and you're that humble and you look as good as you do, I mean, you're just going to win over fans immediately. So I'm I'm with you on that, but it'd be interesting. Do you have Attila? So, all right. So you got Beatrice and Attila. Do you have, like, where would you have them placing at this year's Olympia roughly? if you could put a ballpark number. Oh, I know Attila will be top 10. I don't think top five. Mm. Um, definitely don't think top five. Given I really want to know where Jen Dory is going to sit this year. Because yeah. she, she did look good last year. Um, Beatrice, I think, yeah, easy top 10. I'd love to see her top five. Would love to see her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe um, experience, but given... I still think that she deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's a good yeah, direction, right. structure, femininity, proportion, etc. Um, may not have what it takes to get into the top five that I think top 10 mm-hmm. is a reasonable goal for her. I think. Um, and that's what she said. Top yeah, 10. That, that's exactly what she said. She's very realistic and reasonable and it is still a challenge to get into the top 10. It's not like it's a shoe in because it's not no, the, the level of competition is getting better and better. I mean, she when she plays, yeah, she played second in the pro show that she just recently did. And it was a stacked lineup. I remember watching it live. I watched it, um, I was like, I don't know, some bullshit time. <laughs> like, I stayed up all night to watch it. And I was like, why didn't I just go to bed and get, get up early? It was like 4am, I think, what the start was. And I was like, lol. I watched the Opens men's. That's what I watched, actually, the Spain Pro. Yeah. I love watching, yeah. I love watching the men's open. See, I'm crazy. I used to love the men's bodybuilding, but now I just, I don't know. I can't stand it. I don't give a fuck. Like for me. Your favorites and that's, yeah. Yeah. That's bec- I don't, I, I, if it was a, if it's an Arnold, I'm going to watch the men's open, but I'm more interested in the bikini now. So. Oh yeah. I still love the bikini. Yeah. 
So I'm crazy in the head. So I like I'd say bikinis my number one, and then bodybuilding's bodybuilding's yeah, bodybuilding's number two. And yeah, then I'd say that's how other, I yeah. The other categories would fall sort of after that. Okay. And then I probably watch classic physique. I love watching classic physique. See, I used to be a big classic fan, but now I don't. I don't care. I know I got, got out of it. I don't know what's happened to me. Wellness will be interesting. I think wellness will be in a very interesting category. When they similar, once yeah, we like right once we see who the Olympia champion will be in the year, well when it's first Olympia and its infancy, <laughs> then we can get an understanding. I like watching the amateur wellness categories. Yeah, but, so do I. But beyond that, we're gonna see. So um, it'll be interesting. So I actually had a question from uh, one of the listeners here. So it says, how do you balance competing and working in a non-fitness industry? So in a non-fitness industry. So I'm actually reading a book at the moment about burnout and I've actually taken a week off the gym given that it is, it is hard. Um, I work full time. So eight till four, I work. I was, so when I was in prep, I get up at 4 a.m. I'd go do my cardio, I'd eat, I then get ready for work, eat, <laughs> go to work, eat like four times at work. I feel like my colleagues thought I was crazy. And then I'd go to the gym straight after I'd come home, prep for the next day, go to bed. Um, probably a great thing was that I was, I ended up single. Um, not a great thing, but I ended up single. So I was able to be a bit more selfish. Um, it was a lot of priority time on myself. It is hard and it's hard to juggle what's important. So when people would ask about social events, I was normally exhausted because I'm putting all my energy. So work is mentally taxing because I'm working with people that have problems and I'm trying to fix these problems. Um, and then to try then, it was nice being able to go to the gym and go do cardio to try and turn off, but I would find I often wouldn't turn off. I, Literally last week, it was a big week at work. I went to the gym and I cried because sometimes work is really taxing. And that's when I found that I needed to step away from the gym for a little bit um, just to kind of find my passion again. That was actually a bit of advice from Ebony. She told me, yep, I think it's time for you to walk away for a little bit. She's like, she read out a quote and she resonated and then I resonated with it. It was saying pretty much that it was by a figure competitor in Australia that she loved bodybuilding and then she hated it and then she taught herself to love it. And that's what I found I was doing because I, I prepped for like eight, nine months because everything kept getting cancelled. I lost the love for wanting to be in the gym because there's just so much uncertainty around things at the moment too. Um, and then my job, like when I pulled prep, I put so much focus into work I applied for my master's, which was a bit spontaneous, but so it is hard. It is really hard and it's hard to be selfish like you need to be, especially when I work in a job that you're helping people 24-7. You don't have time to be selfish in a job like this. Yeah, it is is interesting um, making it happen. But I also want to make a quick point for the people that are listening. You know, I do also think that people do place way too much emphasis on you can't do certain things. Like you can't have a respectable job or career and, and train or want to compete or have the, the idea of competing is impossible because you're working full time. It's like, that's not reality. It's just, it's just an excuse like anything else. It's like, if you want something, you'll make it happen. If you want something, you'll make time for it. And if you look at a lot of the successful ladies that have done well at the Olympia level, 
you know, I can assure you that a lot of them have very, very busy schedules and they just make it happen no matter what. And that's why I was getting up at four. People used to think I was crazy because I'd get up sometimes 3.30. If I had to check in on a Friday, I would get up at 3.30, do the check-in, go do cardio, just so I got it done. There was no excuses. There was no room for excuses. If you want something, you got to make the time to get it. And I said that through uni. I worked nearly full-time through uni. Um, that's really interesting. With, so let's say um, when you're, you worked up, like let's say full-time at uni, that's like 40 hours. So what was the full-time uni hours on top of that? So I was probably working probably about 30. So maybe not full-time, full-time, but it was enough, enough while I was at, was at uni. I was working as a bartender. So not even like a nice job. Yeah. I was working the shit hours, but I found that it worked the best around uni. Um, so with speech, it is not offered externally. It is you're an internal student, you go. So my third year was probably the most hectic year. Um, I was there Monday morning at clinic at 8 o'clock and I'd finish at 5. Tuesday, I think we had a little bit of a break in the middle and then Wednesday maybe had an afternoon off. Friday and Thursday were all back-to-back with clinics, placements, classes. Like we were full-time like Monday to Friday there 24-7. And if you weren't, they're actually in class you were studying and then to try and bartending was nice because you could literally just close off. Yep. You just poured beers. That was my job. Just poured beers. That's um, <laughs> my RSI doing that shit though. Yeah. I got to, I got some say here. The next question is like, Oh, not a question, a statement, maybe a bit of a question and statement. So her fur nephew says bork bork. What does this mean? And does it translate? My fur nephew, he's so cute. I don't know if anybody's seen him, Alfie. So what is this? So how does it, how do we even know what your fur nephew is? Who's Alfie? So Courtney, um, Courtney Keen, or physio. Um, the, so so the, her, what's her, her username? Is the bikini physio? The bikini physio. Yeah. So if you have a look, she's just got the cutest puppy. She's got a groodle, so a golden retriever cross poodle. Little Alfie, he has his own... Instagram cringed a little bit when she did it. Um, this was all right. Here we go. Um, you know, how did I not see that? Uh, five days ago, she just made a post. I didn't even okay, I didn't see that one. All right, I'm liking it. You know, here we go. She's in the gym on a pump. I like that one too. But yeah, the, the dog is hilarious. It looks like you can barely see his eyes. He is so cute. So, he what, is... um, sorry, what type of dog is that? He is a groodle, so golden retriever cross poodle. I call yeah. them golden doodles, but I was going to say he looks like a golden retriever that's just really fluffy. Yeah, so mixed with a poodle, he's cute. That is so hilarious. Cute. He does look expensive. How? What's the price range on that? Do you know? Not quite sure. He um, looks I know, disgusting. I know she had a huge wait list, so there was a few months wait list. I remember her messaging me when she put the deposit. She was so excited, and then finally yeah, picked him up. He's a little cutie. That I, and it's, it's interesting as you say, little cutie. I can imagine he's going to be like a proper golden retriever size. That would be hilarious. Yeah, I used to have Rottweilers, so he's not that big. Yeah, oh, but you know, you know, generally, like when you look at a dog that looks like that, yeah, you, you think can of, tell it. I think he's going to be a big boy. You think of like a little midget dog, but this one, he because he's a puppy and he's already that big. Yeah, yeah, I think he's just gone eight weeks or something. Wow, if he's eight weeks and that big, yeah, that's a big dog. Because I remember when I, yeah, I won't get to 
too much shit, but that is hilarious. Okay. Well, there you go. So, Her and a book book. so what is that? I don't yeah, know what, what he's saying, Court. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't know. I don't think anyone knows except, um, except for you. Except Kurt. him. Well, except him. Um, well. I Maybe. actually, bit of a funny story. I had a, um, so in my old job, I was working with, I was a working speech, but I was also working with building NDIS plans. And so I asked a parent, I was like, oh, does like, do they have any speech errors? And she turns to me and she goes, oh, sometimes when I ask him, what does a cat make? He says, moo. And I was like, that's not what I meant by speech. Wow. Like issues. I was like, oh no, oh no. That and is then, amazing. Yeah, I was really excited on that. Yeah. And that just shows you got to be so clear when you communicate because we were on completely different levels. Yeah. I mean, that's some shit that you would like, if, for example, if someone was high and that, and they heard that comment, they'd lose their shit. That's how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Do you deal with people that uh, like, I would, yeah. Would you deal with that type of intelligence regularly? All the time. The parents. All the time. So I have home visit. Oh, I do home visits every now and then. And I, some of the parents that I actually come across, um, I've had to, <laughs> child safety a few times after Mm. this given they were not in great states um but sometimes the level of intelligence in parents is very very low and that's generally from low socioeconomic backgrounds and then there is research to show that generally they do have lower intelligence that is Is so interesting yeah but yeah i have i've had so many times that I've had to really use layman terms. So really bring it back. Mm. And it's hard when you're around like professionals all the time, because I work with professionals and you're used to talking, um, right. using the proper right. terms and then to work with parents and you have to teach yourself. And when writing reports, you have to kind of teach yourself, how would I explain this to someone that has no idea? Because mm-hmm. That way it's, um, it's yeah, digestibility. Can they read it? Are they going to understand it? Sort of, um, you know, even um, I, I always say this, like Donald Trump syndrome versus like, I, I would say that he probably speaks like at a ninth grade level. I think there was like a few articles published on that and yeah. he, it makes him so relatable and easy to understand because if you're very extremely articulate and you're talking like, you know, you know, everything, it's, it's not the relatable. The general population don't understand. It's not relatable. No one's going to fucking understand what the hell's going on. And you're also not going to be likable. Like if I was talking to someone and they'll just blabbing on. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I'm just going to be like, I don't He's like zoning you. Out. You're zoning out and I don't like you. And, um, I um, had a, a guest lecturer at uni and she was actually one of the voice. She's incredible. Absolutely incredible. But because she was that intelligent and you can tell that she hadn't really worked with people that didn't understand. Yeah, 100%. You can see the power trip on it and you'd like zone out and then she'd like call on you and you'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But no you, it's interesting because I find like it's a double-edged sword because how can someone be, for example, if you're articulate, I believe that doesn't make you intelligent because you can't, you haven't got the intellect to read the play and to understand, yeah. to see, like if you're communicating and that delivery sucks, like if you've got half a brain, you're going to be switched on going, hold on a second. This isn't getting through to the messenger. I, I need to reconsider what I'm saying, but they don't. And they keep talking in a way that's, I can't decode. Not aware, yeah. I can't decode what the fuck you're saying. <laughs> like, speak some fucking and English. And sometimes that can be someone actually has issues with their, like, so what we call pragmatic, so that's your social skills. And they don't actually understand how to read someone's emotions, someone's reactions. So children with 
autism mm. will have issues yeah with social cues and stuff and a lot of people with what they used to call as Asperger's so that's no longer the term for it is all now autism spectrum disorder people would often find them very hard to like if they have a lot of issues recognizing um, emotions and people would yeah say bad things because yeah they lack the um, understanding of emotions in other people so their social skills were often impaired that's interesting. So you could, you could say that almost if, um, if you're in that category, you could potentially be a sociopath. The, the, the percentages are going up. Yeah. No, no? we can't say that about people. No, you can't. But, oh, if you're talking about you, like conditions and environment, right. And mm-hmm. you'd have a certain percentage of people that could be less or more likely to, to be a, <laughs> I've had many clients that I go back to the office and I'm like, if in 10 years something comes up, I'm not going to be surprised. And that's where we try and involve psychologists in that instance and try and get them. So you, you definitely can, can read things at an early age and you see warning signs. So what like would be, I don't know, this is probably an odd question, but what would be a warning sign that you would say, oh, hold on a second, that's definitely a fucking flag. Like there's a difference between oh, that was odd. That was a little bit, you know, interesting what you just said or what what you just did, but what's a real red flag? So anything to do with animals. If we have a parent report any abuse to animals, instant with me, I'm like, there's something not right here. Yeah. Um, Any harm of animals, any harm of siblings. I had a client, I really feel for this client, had fetal alcohol syndrome, pretty messed up. He was four or five pretty messed up childhood. He was obsessed with it. You know, the clown it. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah. So this is some serious, like I recommended this family to seaside um, obsession with it. He went on to his carer. So not his, like he was in child safety, his carer's credit card brought it teeth and had them sent to the house. He was full. What a legend. That's, a, like, that's quite intelligent. It's good. He's super intelligent, but like he will hold like pillows over his siblings' heads and put things in his younger sister's mouth. And like this okay. poor kid has seen some things. See, uh, but uh, you know what? Okay. So I would, I would take this back and actually, as interesting as this is for me, like I like to dissect things, right? The biggest problem here isn't the kid. It's the fact that the child, the, the child was obviously like, what was he doing? Just chilling on the couch and, and the TV was on. And then it's like, no, hold on. Kids in the room. I better change the channel. This how did is that where even, I come back to the trauma, yeah, and the environment. How, how did that even come about? Because I remember, you know, as crazy as I like to think that I am, my parents would ban me from watching certain things and I couldn't watch. Like, for example, I wasn't allowed to watch. How funny is this, right? I wasn't allowed to watch South Park. And I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons sometimes because if I started acting a bit crazy she'd be like, not no Simpsons because you're copying or you're swearing because of South Park. Not that's it. You're banned. Like it would be cut straight away. And then next thing you know, you'd be on your best behavior because you wanted to watch the Simpsons. But then obviously you watch too much. And then next thing you know, you're hyperactive and you're doing dumb shit and you want to skateboard. And then you want it like a, like a numchuck and shit. You want to be like Bart. Yeah. Hell yeah. Everyone would be like Bart. I want to be like Bart. I don't want to uh, piss off Homer and, and yeah, just be a Bart. And that's, yeah, and that's why I'm, that's why I'd love to look into the psychology side of things and actually look at environments and how that impacts things like this. It's so interesting. I love learning about like the brain and how that, how like trauma 
yeah. at a young age can affect things like children. I work a lot with child safety. Um, and yeah, there's some stories of kids that have come in and told me things and you're like, how is it fair that this child has gone through this lot? Um, yeah, it's really sad and it's hard to try and sometimes put that line in work and being able to cross off what's actually compassionate and yeah, what's a little bit too much. Yeah, it would be. So many of the kids, I could be like, you could come live in my house. Just come live with me. I'll take you all in. Yeah, it would be it would be challenging because you can't help everyone. And I think, like, I look back at my um, my upbringing, and I was very lucky to have such good caring parents that, you know, did the right things. Like they did the best mm. job that they could. Like obviously, you know, yeah, every situation could be improved in some way, shape, or form. But when I compare it to some of these stories, I'm like, wow, I actually had a good. It was a good thing that my parents were like, no, you can't watch this TV show or you know, this is, this is for adults only or whatever it might be. In this particular one. So the carer had four of her own children and then she had four of um, four foster children. So they were actually family. So four of her cousin's children or something. So there was a big family. And I think out of eight, I think six had disabilities. So very, very busy family home. Yeah. Yeah, it was. A very when she told me about the teeth and stuff, I was like, okay, so there's some serious issues. And he would like go onto YouTube and look up and watch it. And like, what a four year old? How does he? How does he, he like, like how is he not scared? Yeah, exactly. I'm scared, and I'm 23. Does he have his own iPad? Like, you know what I mean? Like, do you not have a password? Like, you know what I'm saying? YouTube and, and- parenting. So much comes down to parenting. A lot of um, diagnosis, and this is a bit controversial. Mm. A lot of diagnosis. Sometimes I think, is it actually parenting? Does this child actually truly have this? Or is it parenting if they had grown up in a different environment? Would the outcome be different? I would say, I think, provided that there's no disability, if we're talking about the average child, like obviously I'm not an expert in this field, but just my logic tells me that if you've got parents that are just complete winners and you put that kid into a winning environment, eventually that kid's going to be a winner. He's going to talk differently. He's going to have good posture. He's going to be more confident or he or she, you know, yeah. like everything would just be performed at a different level to be encouragement. He'd have confidence. And if you, if this kid was just completely introverted snowflake little bitch that sucked at sport, eventually that shit would change and that kid would get confidence and he'd probably, you know, the, the parents would nurture that relationship. Next thing you know, this kid's training and he's getting fitter and stronger. And next thing you know, he's winning just like his parents. Or it goes the opposite way and they rebel. I know many people that have had great families, absolutely beautiful families that have supported and they've been such great, like, learning environments that hit drugs. Mm. See, that, that, is, that, that, is that also a lack of education? So for me, mm. my parents were very big on educating me about drugs at an early age. Like, yeah. I knew about drugs in freaking primary school. Same. I had older brothers, so I was educated in a lot Correct. Same as me, my older brother. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the reason why I was educated because my older brother happened to be cheeky and I um, was educated on all this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, drugs do this to you. Like, and then, and then like, you know, even if you hang around people as I would, that would do those things, I would always have it in my head and I wouldn't do that. Like my, my parents like almost brainwashed me to not experiment with anything at a young age. And it took me forever to even consider anything. I was like 25 years old before I even tried something. That's so because I was brainwashed. So shocked with me. So I've never done drugs, never done drugs. 
I'm probably one of the select few that have never done drugs around me. And that's why people get so shocked because the people around me have, but I haven't. It's well, because hey, I was don't be so, don't be so proud. You've got two years to break my record. I lasted 25 years. <laughs> I have had that much peer pressure and I'm still like, I have yeah. no interest and I've seen the effects of what it can do, especially with my clients, but also with friends and stuff. And I just, mm. I have no interest. I've got other goals and I've got goals that that's not going to actually enhance. Yeah. Well, you are you, who you hang around with. And if you, if you say no to shit, it's good because you build a goal. Like it's like, eh, nah, nah, nah. and then eventually those people stop asking because they just know your answer. That's it. And they know that I'm, they're just they like, yeah, okay. Give her a, give her a beer or give her a, whatever she wants, an alcoholic beverage. And she's good to go. I don't even drink. I drink like, obviously you've probably seen Courtney in my Snapchats. Courtney loves, loves a drink, but um, I'm that type of person that'll have two drinks. And I'm ready to go to home, go to bed. I'm not the party animal. Yeah. Well, that's a good, that's a good thing because you're when sacrifices need to be made, if you want to be good at anything. And if you're obviously putting work into whatever you're doing, your career, your craft, whatever you like to be good at, then, you know, you can't be doing dumb shit on the weekend. And that's it. I've got goals. I want to, I've got some serious business goals and I've got some body goals, like bodybuilding goals. And at the moment, drinking and drugs just don't fit in. Boom. And financially, who has time to be spending that much money on the weekend? Like, I live alone. Probably shouldn't say that. Yeah. People might know where I live now. But, yeah, I live alone and I don't have time to be spending money when I've got other things I want to invest in. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, like off air, I was telling you about stocks, but we won't get into that because we don't want to be responsible for people no. blowing money on dumb Spending shit. Money. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like gambling because I've even been in that position where I've been like, Okay, I study a stock, I research it, and I'm like, yep, yeah, cool. And I make a good decision. Then next week, I'll be like, oh, I don't need to do as much research. And I'll just be like, YOLO. And then I'll be like, bom, bom. Then you get hammered. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. I make good money, you know, from, from my, you know, from business. So it doesn't matter. And I justify the loss. And it's like, no, don't be a moron. So stay away from that shit. If you're, if you have like an addiction, addictive personality or you're into gambling, because that's what it is. Stock market is kind of gambling. If you're not doing research as well, that's for sure. I'm a freak when it comes to research. I like come home from work and do research. Like I'm that person on a Friday night. Like after this, I'll probably research some cool shit. Like, yeah, times have changed. I used to be like, I don't know what the fuck I was doing on weekends, but all I do now is this. Oh yeah, so much has changed since I first like moved up here for uni. Yeah. Like I used to fall off. These get degrees, right? Yeah. This is the question that I have for you though. You know, how much more beneficial has it been for you to get to, for you to get to where you are right now? You know, you said living by yourself, career, career set in stone. You've obviously got some business goals, career goals, and you've started your venture into bikini. How much more difficult would that be, that road be if you went down the other road? And you said, yes to stupid, I'm just going to have a drink here. I'm just going to have some drugs. It'd be completely different. Like I look at back at even my first year at uni, like moving up here, um, we'd go out every weekend. We'd, you wouldn't save money because you were buying alcohol. You were, I wasn't doing drugs, but everybody else was doing drugs and they'd spend a fortune on drugs. Um, and then that just damages your body. It's, I look at it now even too, like if I was to drink or eat something bad, how's that going to impact my body for later? Like 
I look at it, yeah, I look at it now and think, wow, imagine if I didn't actually do those four years of like drinking and stuff, like where would have I put myself? Mm. Um, but that's, that's probably, think- yeah, that's probably you overanalyzing it and you weren't even that bad to begin with. Let's yeah, be 100%. You were like, you're just like that. for like two years, like through grade 11 and 12. Um, I grew up in rural Victoria. We always had parties. Um, no one really cared about that. But, um, it's part of Australian culture. And that's the worst thing now that you look at it. Like people are drinking. I have clients that are 13 that have blatantly admitted that they have done drugs and drank. Grade six. How is it that is even possible? Well, no. when you're back, like, back to yeah. this bad environment. Yeah. It's, it's like... It's crazy. I mean, but see, I grew up in an area that wasn't, um, uh, that I would say is a very cheeky area. And I know I used to see dumb shit happen all the time. It'd be normal, like 12, 13 year olds doing real yeah. dumb shit. Hell yeah. But then you forget, like now that I'm older, I'm like, hold on a second. No, that actually did happen. Yeah. They're all fucking crazy. Yeah. Mm. Um, right, so yeah, just straight out like 13 year olds at miss school now because they're addicted to ice. Like it's, what has the word come to? <laughs> but, how, but this thing yeah. as well, like if we were going down that road just quickly, how the fuck does a kid afford that shit? Their parents. Their parents. Do they just, their parents still... do it. Oh, yeah. so they're stealing it off their parents. Mm. And it's very common. I don't know everywhere else. I know it's super common here in Rocky at the moment. Yeah. And especially with the COVID um, bonus that everybody got from Centrelink. Oh, Drug rocketed. Okay, I, I didn't even know. You were on like, Centrelink. You got a good. I was so pissed off because I bust my ass Monday to Friday, and these guys, they're not earning as much, but they're still earning more than the average household. Yeah, see, so, you know, I don't, I don't, but th- this is the interesting thing where I could even just go into another whole fucking thing here, which I won't, I'll just quickly touch on. But the the tax rate in this country is fucking ridiculous. You know, when you, when you're making good yeah. money and you have a business yourself, when people understand, like if anyone doesn't um, have, probably hasn't started the process, send me a DM and I'll, I'll have a chat to you about it. But it's actually really fucked up the amount of tax that, for example, that, that I have to pay. And then you see tax yeah. dollars money wasted. And it's like, when I was making shit money back in the day, and I used to think it was good money, you know, cause it's like low expectations. You're just like, fuck, I pay so much tax. And you're like, and you're like, oh, and then you, hear and then about- you get a real job and you're like, what? Yeah. And then you, and then it's more and then it's more and then it's more. And then you want to make more money. It's a never ending story. And then you're like, holy shit, I'm paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in fucking tax. Like get to a point where you're oh, paying yeah. more tax than the average salary in Australia. And you're like, half ah, fuck, you know? And you're yeah, feeling- I, I just had a really good pay rise and yeah, I look at it now and I'm like, when did the government work those hours for me? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's challenging. Um, and then you're obviously you're paying at these essentially these public f- figures to represent us, especially in Victoria, you know, at least you've got an open state because here it's fucking next level, but um, it's, it's going to be a problem. But in saying that I'd give anything to go back to Victoria at the moment. My mum was in hospital recently and she was all alone in hospital um, and not being able to. Yeah, but, you, but you, the thing is, let's say for example, even if you were here, you wouldn't be able to go visit her anyway. And that's where it was like, there's no point me even it's, flying home. I no, have to quarantine when I go back. Exactly. But you wouldn't be able to like, when I was in hospital, I was like, first of all, you can't even go in with anyone. You've got to go, you're just sitting in an emergency by yourself. Then you get admitted, you go in there 
and no visitors, period. No exceptions. Yeah, which is heartbreaking. You're on your deathbed. Um, oh, you can only have two people or whatever the fuck it is for a certain time frame, like retarded. But um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll wrap it up probably. Otherwise, we're going to keep talking. Is there, Otherwise, we can just keep talking. <laughs> is there anything that you think that we didn't cover regarding the voice box situation? Um, I think we covered a lot. If anybody has any questions, my GMs, I'm always open and I'm a very open person. I'm not going to judge you on what you ask me. Um, I think that's the, it's so important. Just reach out, reach out. If you're not sure, if you think you've crossed the line and your voice is compromised, get an opinion. It's cool. Like I've done a lot of dumb shit and I always ask for advice if I, if I need a solution, otherwise nothing's ever going to change. So have the courage uh, and that's it. We're out. here to help. We're not here to judge you somewhat. Some will tell you that you fucked up, but it's, we're here to help. We would rather see you get really good progress than be irreversible where you are stuck with this manly transgender voice that you hate for the rest of your life. And you sound like an Asian tranny. Mm. Like and, and, and it's good to hear that you can certainly do something about it. Cause I think a lot of people, didn't realize that it's a possibility. And that's something that I remember, you know, it was only until recently where I sort of discovered that actually, no, you can work on it. And obviously. Yeah. When I told you what we actually do with voice. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. So, and no one actually knows what a speech pathologist is until you work with one or you know one. Oh, ex- exactly. Right. And then yeah, you reflect and go, of course that makes logical sense. I mean, you want to get in shape. What do you do? You get a coach. You know, you want some financial advice, you get a financial advisor. You know, you want to buy a house, you can see, you see an expert in every field that's going to help you towards whatever you're... There's an expert in something, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what's your Instagram handle? It is Charles Williams. Easy. Basic. So yeah. thank you for coming on, by the way. That's all right. Thanks for having me. It's all good. So that'll do it, guys. Another episode done. If you have any questions about this podcast, please feel free to send me a DM. And if you could like this podcast and share, it would be greatly appreciated. And for the people out there that want any topics or questions or any special guests on the show, please let me know. I'm always looking to get some cool people on and until next time, thank you for listening and peace. Bye.